Well, good morning. I hope you came to church hungry this morning. Actually, I hope you came seriously hungry because I've seen the enormous pile of food already forming for the bring and share lunch. Uh, and I promise none of you will go home hungry today. Uh, first, a quick word. I didn't realise that, that they can watch this in TV in the lounge. You didn't realise that, otherwise you'd be out there. I would just like to add a word that says that TV puts on £10 uh, if you're watching in the lounge. Uh, if you're watching in here, living in America for eight weeks puts on £10 as well. So a few of us will be watching our waistline uh, perhaps a little heavier after our holidays than before. Perhaps we will uh, approach the bring and share by counting calories, uh, computing Weight Watchers points, or scientifically juggling our proteins, fats, and sugars. For others, your food choice might be based on allergies, intolerances, or medical considerations. For some of us, lunch options will be driven by moral, ethical, and lifestyle considerations, and these can get pretty complicated. Even just for vegetarians, for example, there are many variations. We may have amongst us pescatarians, which is a a vegetarian who can eat fish, politarians who eat chicken, flexitarians who don't eat meat unless they feel like eating meat. (laughs) The strictest are vegans who eat no animal products at all, including animal byproducts such as milk, eggs, and honey. There are also many complicated kinds of vegan. The most restrictive, perhaps, is the raw vegan, who are fully vegan, uh, but they won't even eat vegetables or beans or pulses if they have been cooked above 48 degrees centigrade. That's 118 degrees Fahrenheit. Slightly more relaxed, but certainly more eccentric, are vegans. Now, a vegan is a vegan that eats honey. A vegan is a vegan that eats seafood. And my favorite, the freegan, <laughs> is a vegan that will eat meat if they're given it, but won't pay for it themselves. <laughs> So, Freegans, it's a bring-and-share lunch today. Fill your boots, fill your pockets and your backpacks with sausage rolls and pork pies. You don't have to pay for anything today. Everything is free. And I say that because there are a lot of Freegans in Linfield. Uh, If you want to see a gathering of Freegans, just stand in front of Glyn Thomas the Butchers on any Sunday morning. And I promise you, everyone coming out of that shop is considering never paying for meat again. (laughs) Then it gets really complicated. You may be scientifically ketogenic, that means you're following a high-fat, low-carb diet. Paleolithic, it's a caveman diet of mostly nuts and berries with very little, if any, meat. There are treetarians who genuinely, I'm told, only eat things that have fallen naturally from trees and bushes. And fruitarians, no prizes for guessing, they both only eat fruit and also have no imagination for coming up with a better name. But I like to keep things simple. I follow my own dietary rules, which work really well for a bring-and-share lunch. You see, I follow a yellow-tarian diet of exclusively yellow food. (laughs) I only eat quiche, cheese, crisps, pies, and sausage rolls. Basically, every day for me is, in fact, a bring-and-share lunch. There is just one danger in the yellow-tarian diet for a bring-and-share. Well, two, if you count coronary heart disease. But if you want to follow the diet, you must beware that at a bring-and-share, some people may package or garnish yellow food with salad. This is actually the only logical use of lettuce as a packaging to protect valuable yellow food. But just beware, because contamination can occur and you don't want to end up with salad on your plate because you need to be careful at bring and share what you put on your plate. If you choose the wrong thing, you may discover something amazing further down the table only to realize you've filled up your plate with worthless salad. So, 
Whether your food selection is yellow or raw vegan, healthy fruit or an indulgent dessert, for all of us, the only truly important choice we will make today will be the bread that we choose. Not the bread that's on the tables in the hall, groaning under kilograms of white and granary and gluten-free, rolls, sandwiches, and French stick. The bread that matters, the only decision that matters, is our reaction to the bread that Jesus is offering us before lunch. The bread he introduces to a very hungry crowd in John 6. If you keep the passage open to you, because it starts with an odd question. When did you get here? We need to explain. This happens a little bit less than 24 hours after the feeding of the 5,000. That explains the crowd's obsession with bread. And Jesus is pretty much at the height of his celebrity. The previous night, we're told, after the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples on their own have taken a boat, the last boat in town as it happens, and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Jesus stays behind to pray in hiding because the crowd wants to seize him and make him king against his will. Now, if you'll remember, this is the same night that the disciples get into trouble with the storm. So Jesus walks four miles across the lake. We'll gloss over that. Calms the storm, no time to mention that. And then miraculously, the boat appears safely on the far side of the lake. It is now morning of the following day, and the crowd are still looking for Jesus. Hungry because yesterday's bread has now fully digested. John records that they... If you go back, just before verse 25, John records that they find boats from Tiberias which pull up at the shore. Unable to find Jesus on that side of the lake, they cross where they find Jesus with his disciples on the other side. Now, my thanks to Brian for such a long reading. I normally like to preach on just one or two verses, but today the reading was the sermon. The verse today is actually verse 63, The spirit gives life, the the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are full of the spirit and life. The sermon this morning was the reading, because it's a sermon that Jesus gives on those verses as he tries to get the crowd to understand the bread that he's really offering them. You see, what we're looking at particularly this morning is the crowd's reaction to Jesus's sermon. Because over the next few weeks, as we turn our teaching to the Holy Spirit, we may face some of the same questions, distractions, misunderstandings, and temptations as the crowd. Because there is a tension throughout this passage, not between two different kinds of bread, but between two different worlds. The crowd has come for free bread to meet their immediate physical need, but Jesus, in return, offers them spiritual food. For most of the crowd, a misunderstanding of Shakespearean proportions follows. Four times Jesus uses this expression, truly, very truly, truly I tell you, highlighting spiritual truths that he wants the crowd to hear. Four times they choose the wrong bread. We'll start at verse 26. Very truly I tell you, you are here because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You see, the physical bread yesterday had satisfied them only till morning, and now they were hungry again. So they sought him out, commandeering boats and risking a dangerous trip across the lake to seek him. They imagined themselves to be fording rivers, leaping boulders, and at first glance it seems a really rather heroic act of faith. But Jesus is not impressed by the enthusiasm of the pursuit. He's only interested in their motive, and he knows they're only after the bread. So, as Josh will be taught on his first day at preaching school... He gives them a visual illustration at the beginning of his sermon. You see, Josh, you must always start the sermon where you're going to end. 
which means if I get this wrong, you're all going to finish vegan. <laughs> Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. It's a parallel with that verse 63 where Jesus lands his sermons. It's a physical illustration. They've come for bread, but they're pursuing instead the bread that spoils. Their efforts have been misdirected as they chase after him. Jesus wants to realign their motive and realign their effort. He wants to realign my motive and my efforts away from the temporary, the flesh, and towards the eternal spiritual realm. But the crowd will not give up easily. Verse 30, what sign will you give us? They want fresh bread this day. You see, the crowd's logic is this. What they see, then they will believe. But didn't they see yesterday? Didn't they have their fill yesterday? And yet they are hungry and uncertain again today. Because they have placed their faith in the flesh. Their faith is in seeing a sign or tasting bread. And if their faith fades when their tummies start rumbling. God's spiritual order is that only when we believe, then we will see. Only after we believe will our eyes be opened and we can see beyond the physical realm that spoils into the spiritual realm that lasts for eternity. Jesus wants to test the crowd. What are they more hungry for? The bread of flesh or the bread of life? Verse 32. Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Jesus' mission is not to give them bread, but to introduce them to the baker. Lifting their gaze to heaven, the giver of life. Pointing out that it is not Moses, it is not the prophets, it's not the priests, it's not the temple, it's not the church, it's not your elders, it's not the preacher. It's the Father. Because today there is fresh bread on Jesus' menu. Verse 33, for the bread of God is bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus reveals the whole gospel to them in just two verses. The bread of God is a person come from heaven. He's come to give us life as a free gift, and life not just to the Jews as Moses did, but to the whole world. Sometimes it's appropriate when we read a passage of the Bible just to stop and say, wow, for that is praise. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's not the reaction of the crowd. Their reaction is grumbling, aligning themselves further with the grumbling Israelites at the first giving of the manna. They're grumbling that God's not doing exactly what they want or what they expect They're lacking bread, and they don't like the uncomfortable doctrine. You can't say that, Jesus. That's not right, Jesus. They're gossiping amongst each other because they think they know his physical parents. Isn't that Jesus? Wasn't it Jesus' father who fit my kitchen? They didn't see the miracle of his birth in Bethlehem. They didn't realize who his real father was. They saw instead his adopted earthly father. They missed yet again the miracle. I didn't realize until I was studying for this sermon that uh, Bethlehem, well, the word Bethlehem actually just means house of bread. Sometimes you read the Bible and just say, wow. 
Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. To choose, all they have to do is believe, and then their eyes will be opened. Just like the afternoon before, all they have to do is accept the bread freely given. There is no charge, no rules, and no work required. The bread yesterday and today are freely given. The choice to accept is their and our only responsibility. Because Jesus wants a genuine relationship with each and every person in this room. And that kind of love relationship can't be bought with free gifts of bread or miraculous tricks. It can't be built on rules and rituals, and it can't be earned by hard labor. Jesus simply says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Just like the day before, all they have to do is accept the gift. Oh, and they have to eat the bread. You see, the bread would have not have met their physical needs if they'd just inspected it. So you watch the British Bake Off, where we sit and watch people inspect bread. At the feeding of the 5,000, they didn't just look at the crumb structure and check for soggy bottoms. This is Jesus' point. I can watch people baking bread on the British Bake Off, but unless I eat it, unless I actually eat something, if I just watch them bake, then I'm going to be hungry. In the same way, God's offer of spiritual nourishment makes no difference to us unless we consume it. We should not come to church just to look at bread. Jesus invites us to come and be filled, to come and be nourished. There is an impressive array of yellow food next door, but it will be of no use if I just look at it and then go home hungry. To nourish us, to sustain us, to fill us, we must choose and eat the right bread. But a violent argument starts in the crowd because their understanding remains at a purely physical level. So suddenly after coming for bread, how can this man offer us his flesh to eat? So remember the key verse that Jesus preached this morning. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. The crowd has it backwards So blind are they to the spirit that they think Jesus is even talking about eating his physical flesh. In fact, he's saying the exact opposite. Flesh counts for nothing. They must look to the spirit for life. And so to truth number four, verse 53. Very truly I tell you that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Jesus has preached about two breads, two worlds, and two very different outcomes. It's our choice between life and life. And death. At the start of the passage, we have a huge crowd of thousands of fans searching high and low, desperate to get to Jesus. But by the end of his sermon, he has only a ragtag handful of followers remaining. The rest have literally turned their back on him, disturbed and disgusted by his teaching. As we change our teaching during this year, as we look at discipleship, we're moving in the autumn to the Holy Spirit. So just as in John 6, we turn from the physical realm to the spiritual realm. And if we're not to get lost along the way, we need to consider, am I a fan or am I a follower? You see, discipleship is about making just that decision, just that progression for us, this Progression Sunday. Because fans start out with great sound and enthusiasm, but soon turn to grumbling, not that anyone ever grumbles in this church, arguing which would never happen, But eventually they fall away in search of the next big thing when they don't get exactly what they want or expect. 
I found this great definition of fickle fandom on the web, which applies exactly to the crowd in John 6. If you're a fickle fan, your loyalty is tied to your personal satisfaction with the performance of whatever or whoever you choose to be a fan of. When you're disappointed or dissatisfied, you will simply place your loyalty elsewhere. Fans may well include Jesus in their list of interests. Followers, however, are faithful to the last. A follower's loyalty is not based on your satisfaction with God's response to your requests. It really doesn't matter whether you like or agree with or are comfortable with what Jesus might require of you. Pleasing God is not what matters to most followers. It just defines who you are. This hard teaching, as Jesus calls it, an expression used by rabbis to sift fans from followers, ended up with just a few committed followers, which is all that Jesus needed to change the world. Almost the entire crowd chose to leave hungry and shop for bread elsewhere. So even today, most of us will probably choose more carefully between our quiche and our sausage rolls. We will count our calories and consider the consequences of our dessert options far more carefully than we will choose the bread. But only the spirit gives life. The flesh, all of the rest, counts for nothing. May we, like Simon Peter, be followers no matter how hard the teaching. Only in Jesus can we find the words of eternal life that we may believe and know that he is indeed the Holy One of God. Only in him can we be confident that we have chosen the right bread. I am the bread of life, says Jesus. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Please don't turn away from that invitation. No one needs to go home hungry today. Amen.